0: welcome back to kefaro cast everyone we have a very special guest someone that's been here with us many times the one and only bill i don't know how to pronounce your last name from iron will <laughs>
1: <laughs> vander hayden vander hayden
2: yeah <laughs> still yeah better than i would have said <laughs> <laughs> uh remember that uh office space when he, they're like he, they fired samir and they're like uh samir naga naga well, he's not going to work here anymore anyway. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh, Lord. So what what's going on, Bill? You have all kinds
1: of cool stuff on the table here. Yeah, we've got uh, some new new products we just launched. Um, our new broadheads for this year are going to be a single bevel broadhead and a wide solid. The wide solid, you'd asked me for that right away when we came out with our wide heads last year, which were all vented. Our wide solid is just that same blade size without the vents. Um, It adds 25 grains to that blade that was, that's currently used in our wide 125. So it just starts at 150 grains on up, but yeah, it's an inch and three eighths wide main blade, three quarter inch wide bleeder blade for two and eight inch total cut, same as our wides last year, but just with a solid blade. So uh, you you killed a few animals with that this year, I think right Aaron
2: yeah so I killed that Arizona buck uh that big owdad, dad javelina and some does there might be more in that list I'm not remembering did you kill but some yeah. turkeys with it too the not the wide solid I don't think I did um the stand the wide vented I did and then I killed a few also with the single bevel but yeah it was pretty well I'm going to nothing but wides um uh, you know, out of my stick bow and then probably half and half out of the the compound, so.
1: Yeah, they penetrate really well. Um, I did some force testing this year to really see for myself how does our S100 blade versus our S125 versus our wide. Well, how much force does it take to push down through height and and muscle? And it was all very similar. It was all in that 10 to 12 pound range for all three three of our heads. Really, that that edge sharpness, edge retention keeps it forced to penetrate low they go through bones really well too so if you're used to shooting like a three blade a three blade chisel point or uh, or cut on contact we're up in that 50 to 80 pound range just to go through hide and muscle compared to that 10 to 12 pound range for for all those even our wide hit so penetration has been great i get that question a lot can i can i use these for elk um sure you can uh, they're going to penetrate fine for me it's more of a choice of what range am i gonna shoot, and a wider head's not gonna be as forgiving at really long range so um i would i shoot the wide when it's gonna be i know the shot's gonna be under sixty or even under fifty then I'm fine putting the wide in and if it's gonna be longer i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with our s series when I think there's gonna be a longer shot on on elk something like that anyway that's uh we had. I think we had a dozen or so testers, but everybody's really happy with the wide solid this year. So on that note, like with the, obviously the
2: wide solid and, and some of the things you're offering, what's your, I guess, I don't know if you want to talk, what's your number one seller?
1: Our, our S series would be our, um and it's pretty close between our S100, S125. I think our, our S125 is probably our most popular elk head and a lot of our customers are elk hunters. And, um, but we're kind of growing in the whitetail market too. I think as the word's gotten out more about our heads, we're seeing more and it, you can really see kind of the shift through, through August. We're selling a lot of S125 and then September, October, we start selling more hunter grain heads. So I think it's the whitetail guys picking those up more, but yeah, our, our S series was our top seller. Our wides did pretty good. Um, more in the whitetail market, I would say. I think they're you know, if somebody asked me what would I shoot on whitetail, I'd shoot our wide head. I mean, I shot, for years I said you don't need anything wider than our standard heads, and, and you don't. They, they do fine. They penetrate great. They, they kill quickly. You know, you're going you're gonna to get a pass through with our wide head on a whitetail, too, and those closer range shots. And uh, whitetails are going to, they're most likely to move, probably, and um, keep you from getting that perfect shot. So having that wider head, if you get you know one long liver or or whatever, bigger hole, more trauma, more blood on the ground, quicker kill. So yeah, I, I like our wide heads now for whitetail bears, things where the shots are a little closer and and um, it might not be perfect. I
2: know I've gotten a, a ton of questions on the the whitetail wide cut thing, and I think um I, I guess get your feedback. It seems like a lot of people are moving away from mechanicals is is part of it and but want the wider cut and and for most whitetail shots not everywhere but I've shot at a few whitetails one with uh, a buddy and and uh, it's like four feet away by the time the arrow got there we watched it on film (laughs) and so um, you know longer distances aren't a bigger deal i guess you know with whitetail and so that that wide cut i probably got asked more about than anything on the compound side not the stick bow side a lot of guys like it but on the compound side of is this going to work for whitetail and and here's my setup where you know if your your bow's tuned it's pretty easy to get those to tune out to 40 or 50 from from my experience farther distances some guys might have trouble with depending or you know they'll drop out the bottom just because of wind drag but pretty easy get them to tune out to, to 50 from my experience i mean what what do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, you know, our testers, um, I had them all shoot them to 60 yards, I think, when we count with a wide. And, you know, our testers all had, you know, they have a, a decently tuned bow and everything, but they all reported good groups to that distance. I shoot them, you know, almost daily along with our other heads at 100, 100 yards at an 18 inch target. I don't think I've ever missed the target, you know, in, in wind and everything. Um, I just can see that my groups aren't as tight as they are with our V series or S series and there's a little more drag. Um, done some radar testing and I see that um, there's very diff- very little difference in drop between a field and our say our V or S series at 80 to 100 yards um, you know like within an inch on vertical drop and I'm planning to, to get some more data and, sh- and share some more on that but our um, our wide heads do have more drag so they're going to be a Uh, You know, two, three inches lower at those really long distances, at least. And that's going to depend on what arrow you're shooting, what's your arrow mass, what's your arrow speed, and I'm planning to get a little more of that data um, to share with people. But um, yeah, it's going to be less forgiving, just having a kind of bigger wing on the front. You're going to want a little more vein uh, on the back. And so it's hard for me to say how well it's going to shoot at 80 yards for everybody because everybody's setup's a little different. And so I just say in general, you know, 50 yards and under, I'm pretty confident you should be able to get it to shoot well for you. Would you say that it, I mean, seems like people
2: are starting to move towards a fixed blade. I mean, and let's, we'll leave you, you know, Bill out of it, but in general, meaning iron will, um, I know guys are moving more towards the wide cut than, than expandables. Would you say, would you say as industry as a whole that people are starting to move more towards fixed blades and away from mechanicals on some things?
1: I sure, I sure think so from what I hear. You know, I hear a ton of our customers are people that have mechan- failures on mechanical and are wanting to switch to a, a fixed blade. And um, I was just on a hunt in Alabama a couple of weeks ago, and um, one of the guys there, he, um, he shot a buck with an iron wheel broadhead, and it was the same buck he shot 40 days prior with the rear deploy mechanical. And, um, I think we save this to our Insta story too, if you want to see it, but you can see that, you know, that buck moved just a little bit and he caught the shoulder blade and that um, mechanical stopped at the shoulder blade. And he showed me the video that most of the arrows hanging out, it ran off tracked for a long ways, lost it. Well, that same buck came back. He shot it with an iron will, slight quartering away, um, went, you know, kind of through that vital V area, broke the offside shoulder and still stuck eight inches in the ground. And, and when he recovered it, he's, we got a little video of him telling me the story. We can see the scar from the mechanical. And he shoot a 70-pound bow. And it can't, it can't penetrate a scapula. That's pretty thin. But, you know, what I saw in my force testing is, is um, an iron wheel broadhead would take about 30 pounds to push down through hide, muscle, and scapula. Um, and then, you know, the three-blade three chisel point, was up in that 150 pound range. So maybe five times higher, but then you go to a mechanical and it, I was sitting 400 pounds on our Instagram machine, just kind of crushing everything down to the table. And it never, never penetrated that, that shoulder blade, that scapula. It takes so much force for that thing to penetrate. I honestly can't see why anybody would shoot them. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, to me, it's ridiculous. Shoot our, shoot our wide head, get 208th inch total cut, and it's gonna go through bone. Um we did some t- high speed testing shooting that through the knuckles um the leg bones and the knuckles on whitetails it it cuts through it like nothing and the blade still looks like new so why would you not do that versus risk a mechanical
2: yeah and i think that um the more stories like that that come out and again i i've shot mechanicals um but i, I think the more stories that come out like that that people may Without any experience, hear things like that and and freak them out. Or, yeah, freak them out, I guess would be the right word. Obviously answering questions, you get a lot of guys that have, um, you know, maybe not inadequate, but maybe not quite enough oomph. And, well, uh, Rob shot through both scapulas and broke the offside leg on that uh, sheep for example, with a, obviously, a, and that was a wide, with, the wide hit, with a wide, wide head, with a wide head at 40 yards. It, it almost passed through the, the, when I say passed through, there was two holes, the fletches were holding up on the, the shoulder on the, on the onside. And that's a, what a 55 pound recurve or something, right? A 28 inch draw. Yeah. Not a, yeah. not a lot of oomph behind that. Um, where, you know, you, you, with a, with a compound uh, specifically, you, you know, you watch TV shows and, and uh, you know, you see the arrow hit and it kind of just stops and, you know, it takes a lot of force and trying to think it was i did a redneck test and it was i know it got up to 150 pounds to to open uh certain broadheads um of, of pressure and i did it a, on a hide or what did you do it i did it on a hide so yeah, that doesn't yeah. count all the other shit so it, it was pretty substantial where a fixed blade was like three pounds or eight pounds or I don't know sub 10 well if you, if you get a guy that's shooting 63 pounds with a 410 grain arrow and catches the scapula there's a pretty good probability he's not making it through that where rob and i'd shoot at the shoulder but i mean rob he just zipped through that thing was you know with a, a fairly uh i wouldn't say inadequate because it was certainly adequate but i mean it's it's not pumping out uh you know the, the the ke or momentum or whatever that other bows will but you take that stick bow with a fixed blade and then put it against a 65 pound 28 inch draw compound shooting a 400 grain arrow rob's actually gonna out penetrate that if that compound shooting up mechanical because of the, the the momentum lost when it's
1: right. opening up so yeah i think a lot of people um so on the just to get through the hide like i said the wheel broadheads were around that 10 to 12 pound that that rear deploying mechanical was over 160 pounds trying to try and get through the hide so you're it's like you're punching that deer in the side for one thing when you when you hit them so they're a lot more likely to react and run far um You're less likely to get uh, passed through, and what I'm hearing more and more, which is surprised about, is that a lot of people are just hitting ribs and getting them to stop. You know, you center on a rib, or the blades are hit vertical on a rib. Talking to the some of the Ashby Foundation guys, and they've got a bunch of videos from Texas. They've said where they show mechanicals just hitting ribs and stopping right there, Um, and they've got you know the deer on camera later with the scars to to prove it. So. Yeah, I'm not a mechanical fan. I think a lot of people have gone to them because maybe their bow's not tuned and they're, they are want to shoot long distance and they can put the mechanical on and still get there. But you're just going to be so much better off getting your bow tuned, getting that arrow to fly straight, and shooting something that's going to get through bones, ribs, spine, shoulder blades, whatever.
2: Well, and I, again, like everybody knows, I've, I've shot mechanicals, but I also shoot 80 to 90 pounds with a 550, 500, 600-grain arrow. And it doesn't really – count like to say count but it's kind of like gillingham
1: yeah you could could tie a fork on the front of your arrow it's gonna get get in there (laughs) yeah that's the
2: thing right (laughs) and so and and that's the same thing with with gillingham is um he's got a 33 inch draw um his arrow is going to be heavy it doesn't matter right he's his arrow is going to be heavy and he shoots 75 pounds or something so that is a totally different you know system or not system that's a totally different mathematical calculation figuring out his momentum in comparison to someone else's and so but I've shot animals where you have too where uh the mechanical came out with you know no fucking blades on it
1: um when it came out to the other side I think that's what you guys risk that are are shooting the high poundage heavy arrow um is that there's a tremendous amount of force behind that broadhead now and when you hit a bone, something like that, it it's going to break blade. It could just break the, the, the ferrule right off. For instance, uh, I've done some testing, shooting through bones and scapula and, and, the blades are often gone, um, or bent pretty bad. And, and once in a while that ferrule will just snap right off too. So that that's kind of the risk I think for the higher poundage, heavier arrow guys that, yeah, they probably do have enough momentum that arrow is going to get through into the vitals. Um, but there may or may not be a broadhead or blades on it when it does it.
2: Yeah, blades for, for sure. We, we haven't had, uh, I, I will say that the quality of mechanicals has gone down severely. There's a couple decent ones out
0: there now. but Yeah, a couple of years ago when we did the, the broadhead testing uh, with a bunch of different mechanicals, I'd say the vast majority of them had failed pretty, pretty badly. miserably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
2: the, the thing, and, and you, you learned like the amount that, that we get to hunt and, and, uh, well, and Frank's had to grow up and, and, uh, actually, but he's in charge of everything here now. So I get to hunt more. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the amount that that I get to shoot too. And the, the more you shoot, the more you, you see, right. And, or see fail. And, and then also guiding, you see a lot of crazy shit. So, um, w- when we test broadheads, as you know, it, it could be depending upon depredation tags or the tag limits, you know, a hundred animals in a year, uh, you know, 150. Well, that's, you know, that's a lot of testing. And so you, you get to see a lot of goofy shit and you, you pinwheeled, uh, that doe with a schwacker. Was it a fatal steel schwacker? The
0: schwacker, the stainless version. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, piss on that thing if it's gums were on fire. (laughs) It was like a perfect 12 ring straight through. And, uh, it, I don't think it, i don't think it opened maybe it, it didn't open and yeah. it,
2: and so it had like a little field point hole we tracked that fucker for like 300 yards yeah um and you kept saying you pinwheeled it or hit it good and yeah I, I was like yeah uh-huh and we got up to it and i mean it was right in the golden triangle 12 and it it probably went 300 yards it went right. a long way yeah. yeah a long ways and so you've also had a cow you didn't have one broadhead open did you maybe one yeah and then i i know uh I shot, I probably have seven animals where they didn't didn't open probably total and probably that double um of uh the arrow coming out with no blades on it. I've never had a feral break i've have had them bend um but I've definitely had uh you know the have it come out and it's it's just a, a feral so there. they're um what what have I said from the beginning uh God created mechanicals for people who can't tune um, <laughs> That's truly why, I mean, in the beginning, I, I mean, I said a big reason, why pretty much, I don't know, very few people don't go to them uh, unless they just can't get something to tune. And then that's like the the fail safe, I guess.
1: Yeah. You know, they, they can work great. They can, and, and that's the thing that lures people in. They, they can just perform perfectly. Maybe you get that pass through and two inch wide cut and blood everywhere. And, um, and you know, a lot of times they work great, no doubt. Um, but they have all these failure modes. So there's just there's just that risk with them that you can get rid of with a fixed. But, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people use them and use them for years and have great results. But often at some point there's some failure and then they're looking for something better.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean again, like I um obviously with the stick it's different. I, I'm not gonna shoot a mechanical with a stick bow, but the quality kind of going down the shitter is a big deal on most of the the, the mechanicals out there. And then once you, you, let's say you get rid of, I'd say there's probably three semi quality mechanicals out right now. Um, they, they, they'll still fail. Um, you know, they, they can, obviously it's a mechanical head. So it it's interesting, just kind of how rocket remember rockets. That was like the first big yep. selling mechanical. And uh, I'm trying to think uh, there was a Wolverine, and the blades, I shit you not, there was like three-eighths of play when they'd <laughs> open. And then they had some bigger like steel heads and other ones. And, you know, at, at that time, it was just a little, you know, that that uh, color. What it, what would this be? Like almond rubber band, like the little office space rubber bands held the blade uh, open. And I remember shooting those. I had to triple rubber band them because they'd open coming out of a 90-pound bow. <laughs> and then Rage, uh, they picked up Chuck Adams, right, which is crazy. I thought, how the hell is Chuck Ad-? you know, and. Axe through an animal, so I went and bought them, and I had an antelope at 80 yards, and and that opened up coming out of the, you know, the bow too. Uh-huh. Um, so there there's other issues other than just the the blades breaking off at times. Um,
0: nothing better than having a 80 inch antelope in front of you and your rage open up coming out of the bow. You but, think uh, you think there's been like a a shift in not only just people seeing failures, but wanting to invest in higher quality products, um, maybe taking their hunting. A little bit more seriously, and they want to instead of buy you know lower quality at a higher quantity, maybe higher quality at a lower quantity, something along those lines.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, answer yeah, I, that one if you want. I definitely think so. I th- I feel like you know, when we launched 2017, so four years ago, I think that first year it was a uh, it was a pretty hard sell. Three broadheads for a hundred bucks, and our margins aren't that high. I I priced them as low as I could to make a viable company. That's just what it costs for those high-end materials, manufacturing processes. And I think initially a lot of people are like, that's crazy. I can get a $10 broadhead and kill a deer with it. Um, And certainly you can. Um, And so I think it was a, and people were also used to broadheads being disposable. Like um, they didn't care if they had to buy a couple packages of broadheads a year and, and, you know, use them once and they were were no good. Um, But I don't think, I don't have to explain that to people anymore. You know, I think that um, more and more people understand. You know, a, a high-end tool steel, very sharp, that's going to you know cut through bone, stay sharp all the way through the animal, and then still spin through and be able to be used again. Is um, I think people understand that that quality costs more, and and we haven't raised our prices at, at all since then. And uh, I think at this point, people are, you know, you kind of know what you get. You get what you pay for, and and that doesn't seem to be a an issue for people anymore. I think they they understand that you're getting a much higher quality product. Um, we have we have a lifetime warranty, so yeah, don't lose it and you can use it forever, kind of thing. So if you break it, bend it, we replace it. But I, I do think there's more and more people that are are interested in in the higher quality gear like that.
2: Well, while we're talking about higher quality gear, kind of shift over and let's talk about some of the newer offerings as well, and then maybe
1: talk about the prototype stuff because
2: that's what I'm most excited
1: about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, let's spend a little bit of time on single bevel. Um, so I tested single bevel way back, you know, I started developing broadheads back in 2006 and I tested a lot of single bevel, double bevel out there. My, my preference was a double bevel. It, um, it's inherently got a stronger edge to it. Um, because it's, it's you know centered you're, you you got to you're grinding from both sides when you cut something you're just cutting straight into something um, versus a single bevel you know the bevels all on one side all the pressure's on one side so it's pushing on that edge kind of wanting to bend or roll over that edge also with a with a double bevel grind you grind back and forth and um, you go finer and finer grinding and you're working that burr back and forth i kind of like that sharpening process better than the single bevel where you grind all on one side and then you're removing that burr as you, as you step through the finer grinding. So anyways, my, my stance on it was always, okay, a double bevel, it's inherently a little stronger edge, and it's gonna just slice straight through versus versus rotate. And I feel like that's probably gonna penetrate. Um, but you know, a lot of my initial testing was on other people's broadheads. So over the last couple of years, there's been a bigger and bigger single bevel following. So I've decided to make some, make basically our, our S series blade, it's currently a double bevel and just do a single bevel grind on it. So I've been testing that for about a year, had um, a number of people testing those broadheads as well. Learned quite a bit more, and I just wanted to kind of go through that. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fiction out there, but, you know, kind of the fact versus fiction on, on single bevels. So one thing people will say is that it's just going to—and a lot of this is from the Ashby reports— you know, and I've talked to Dr. Ed Ashby, and I got his input on the single bowel design that I used. And I also just talked to him last, um, on Friday, I guess, to review some of my results and some of his his testing as well. Um, great guy, by the way. Very, uh, you know, very uh, super nice guy. He's just really just trying to help people. I don't feel like he has an agenda at all on anything. Um, I think he's just trying to help people be more lethal. But, um, you know, in his testing, so first off, the thing that single bowel does is it creates rotation as it's cutting in you get pressure on that bevel it's going to push that blade say the top blade to the say to the left the bevels opposite on the bottom so you push the bottom of the blade you know to the right and you create some rotation and we've seen this Um, we shot some deer in Alabama Um, the Hoyt crew was there filming a commercial for the new bow actually and they had a high-speed video camera and uh, really cool guys they they offered to take some video for us as well, shooting through bones and, and deer and things like that. But we captured on, on film at high speed an arrow hitting this buck, right kind of in that vital V area. And you can see the arrow rotating at, as it impacts, and it continues to rotate as it's passing through that buck. Versus a double bevel will stop rotation right there and just shoot straight through. So it can cause
2: basically a, a larger hole. Because it's it, it's rotating, so
1: it can do more devastation to the lungs or
2: liver. Basically, is the idea, right?
1: Yeah. So it'll the cut going in won't be exactly straight. It'll be more kind of rounded. As it's just rotating, creates a little more of like an S cut, so it doesn't close up quite as easy. And that's been what a lot of the single bevel, um, you know, fans have said, and why it's better than double bevel. And I, I get that for when you're just talking about a two blade. I do believe that a single bevel, if it's just a two blade, will give a little better hole than a double bevel. Um, but I, I've also preferred a double bevel with a cross cut bleeder of three quarter inches to just open up the hole that way and then add, you know, 70% more total cut or so with that cross cut at three quarter inch. What's cool though is we're also doing a single bevel with a single bevel bleeder. So it continues to drive that rotation and then with that cross cut also rotating you get a hole that's more, uh, it's almost kind of rectangular. It's kind of uh, rounded or rectangular and um, a little more open than you see with the double bevel. So I feel like that's, that's the advantage of single bevel. It's going to, the holes will be a little more opened up. And um, as it's rotating through, you're cutting a little more tissue going through. So, you know, I need to shoot a lot more animals. But so far what I've seen is, um, is the performance is really good. I'm not saying it's better than our S series. I feel like they're both um doing a great job killing everything I've shot and the the differences are are fairly subtle, but I feel like at this point the single bevel with that rotation you're going to get a little more maybe tissue damage, a little more trauma, the whole open um a little more open holes. The double bevel, you know, very strong edge, great penetration. It's going to shoot straight through. I think on a really big animal, and I, I need to more, do more testing, I feel like it, there could be an advantage there with penetration, and um, that's, that's one thing I need to do more testing on. In ballistic gel, the penetration looks like it's the same, double bevel versus single. And that's something I'm going to be working on more to figure out. I would say on the single bevel, a negative has been the strength of the edges. and I started out at uh, 25 degree, then 28 degree. And I was getting more edge chatter um, than I would see with our double bubble, just because of that rotation. Talk about edge chatter. Just
2: some people might not understand that.
1: Yeah, it's it's what people call when the edge kind of breaks away. Um, I always called it chinking, which is probably
2: looked down upon. Um, <laughs> so, but chinking or chattering is basically the same thing. I, or I always say it's chinking, like if it hits a rock and it you know, it looks serrated and it's not supposed to be, but that's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned it before and a bunch of people asked me what you're talking about. So I figured I'd have you explain it. Yeah. <laughs> people
1: call it different things, but um a lot of people are calling it edge chatter out there. It's, you see it more in stainless steels cause they're more brittle, but it's that edge breaking away. It's the edge isn't strong enough for that hard side load on it. And I didn't really see it through animals. Um, I could see it when I just shot through hard leg bones, you know, that had been out of an animal for a while and were probably quite a bit harder than normal. Um, And I was also seeing it on like small rocks in the dirt. And I think, I think you guys maybe, I think um, Cody Greenwood was testing some of these too. And also told me that when it was at a 28 degree, that it didn't, it didn't look as strong. It didn't seem as strong as our double bubble, which is at a third 19 per side at 38 degree. So that's what I saw. I went up to uh, thirty-two degrees before I um, got rid of the edge chatter completely. You know, I was hitting, hitting rocks, hitting, um, going through bones. The edges look great. I had uh, John Lusk do a a test on them as well. You can see it on the Lusk Archery Adventures. He shot through the steel plate and um, five shots through steel plate. The edges look perfect. No edge chatter on it as well. So, anyway, that's why I settle on thirty-two degrees. Other companies out there are using most of them 25. There's a lot of 25 and, and you can hear this from feedback. A lot of people say you get edge shatter with that. And I agree. I think it's a little too thin. It'd be like a 12 degree per side double bubble, which that's just, that's a pretty weak edge to me. Um, but if you get too high, there's some single bevels that are up in that 40, 45 degree range. Now it's just kind of not as sharp. And it's also, it's also great driving more a lot more torque which i think could slow down the penetration and that's what i hear from like through the ashby foundation guys they hear from a lot of phs that those higher bevel angles aren't getting pass-throughs on cape buffalo and they feel like um and they're planning to do a lot more i think they're going to do some really good testing this year actually with different um single bevels versus double and different edge angles to try and get more data on that. But anyways, to me, it looked like that 32 degree was kind of a sweet spot where that edge durability was good enough that I could do a lifetime warranty on it. And yet the rotation looks good. Another thing I see is that, you know, you've got, you've got this rotational momentum from your arrow at impact, you know, so why not use some of that and just continue that rotation with the single bevel? I think if you don't, and the amount of rotation you're going to get from that single bevel will depend on you know, how big is that blade and what angle do you have? And I, what I'm seeing at 32 is I think you're just kind of continuing that rotation. You're not trying to drive more that's going to require more torque, more energy. So I'm hoping the net effect is that penetration is, uh, is, is not reduced much at all, if any, from our double bevel. Yeah, you get that added rotation, added added tissue damage.
2: You building a mechanical is, is a stretch, and I get pestered about that all the time. <laughs> but was the single bevel, I mean, you kind of went through the whole shittery there, but uh, was that something in the beginning you thought you would make?
1: No, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I've been a mechanical engineer doing product development for over 25 years. And what I've, I mean, to be a good engineer, what you need to do is, Not think you're, you know, everything, not think you're, you know, the smartest guy out there, but yet just try to continue to learn as you go and, and make data driven decisions on things. And, you know, our original V series head, I spent several years developing that, loved that head, killed a ton of animals with it. I I was happy to just use that for life. Um, And then you and others wanted a solid blade to make it, you know, quieter, a little stronger. And, you know, I made one, tested it. Sure enough, it's a great head, and, and I switched over to that head. Um, you know, in this single bevel versus double bevel, I, I didn't think I'd want um, – I actually made these blades to just get a bunch of data and say, hey, guys, just shoot our double bevel because uh, it's better than a single bevel, and there's no no reason to shoot a single bevel. You know, after after testing it for a year, there's some differences. I'm not saying it's better or worse. Um, I think they're both extremely effective, but there's some differences. There's some uh, cool things about it. I think it works very well, and um, this rotation is kind of intriguing. And it, it was it performed well enough that I came out with it as a product. And I'm gonna I'm getting more data on doing more testing this next year to try and quantify for myself which one of these do I want to shoot. Um, but yeah, I try to. Where
2: are you leaning right now? That's that's the big question.
1: What do you what are you leaning towards for 2021? Yeah. Or so, are you gonna have like six?
2: different systems in the quiver
1: <laughs> yes yeah, so i got a the hunts i got planned coming up are a caribou hunt in august and then a elk hunting in colorado and elk hunting in wyoming and right now um for a big elk hunt i would probably just shoot our s125 i mean i i shot two big bulls with that last year my colorado bull was an 82 yard shot and um i'm probably gonna get some slack for that but you know, I shoot, I shoot to 100 yards almost every day with that head. I know I could shoot it really well. And 82-yard shot right through the meat of the shoulder, a few inches in front of the crease. Got a complete pass through, and that was a giant um, bodied bull. Complete pass through. I found that arrow 20 yards past that bull. Um, so, I mean, I shoot that head really well. It penetrates great. Um, with my experience, that's, that's my go-to for elk right now. Um, I think the single bevel would have done fine, but I don't – without having more test, test aid experience, I'm going to still shoot the S125 on that. I think on the deer, I've I passed through a number of deer with um, the single bevel this year, and, you know, it's it's going through a deer plus shoulder blades plus, you know, inches in dirt. So um, I've got no issues at all shooting it. I've got an, I got an antelope tag too. I'll probably shoot that head on my antelope and my deer – I might shoot an elk with it too, or one of the two elk maybe, tags. I couldn't tell you. I think they're both going to be great. Like if I was going to shoot a moose right now, I'd probably go S125 just because I know that penetration is excellent on that. We've had six, seven guys get complete pastures on keep buffalo with their double bubble heads um, without the bleeders. But, you know, I know penetration is extremely good on that. I think the advantage of the single bevel could be um, and this is what's cool about it. I think with a very compact head for, that's going to fly well at long distance, you could open up the holes bigger and get more blood on the ground. And, and that's going to be, I think, guys that are just shooting mechanicals, say, at long range, um, not because their bow's not tuned, but because they want a bigger hole or more blood on the ground, I think this could be a way to get that now where that hole's not going to stay. It really can't close up when it's round. Um, you are getting more tissue damage. It's going to do more trauma, um, put the animal down quickly, and and shoot really well at long range. So I think it's kind of intriguing for that antelope mule deer type type hunter too.
2: Let's move on a little bit to the prototype stuff. Um, you want to touch on how this came to be, and we'll t- kind of go over what what. Um what we're about to release i guess or or in your thoughts on it and we can kind of go over the story of how it came to be i guess mostly cuz this is really what i want to talk about uh, yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> the micro so i don't know i shot micros a few years ago i switched to micro diameter for a couple of years wanting to get you know kind of some of the advantages of r- less wind drift you know better penetration although i i feel penetration is a, a bit over emphasized it I think you know it's definitely going to be uh, less friction on the shaft with a smaller diameter Um, also less drag and flight so I mean the cool things about a micro is less wind drift less drag and flight because you got less surface area on that shaft so um, it'd be nice to go to it for that reason but the systems available are are just weaker Um, and the alignment isn't that good and I hear that I mean the farms are full of it What's, what are you guys using for a micro system components? What's a better system? Um, And personally, I shot the micros for two years, a few years back. And then I switched back to a 204 ID because I just really love the strength of, um, you know, having our broad head aligned directly to the ID of the shaft, plus our impact collar. And it's a very well aligned system, very strong system. So I've been shooting the 204, been very happy with it at the same time. I've been wanting a better microsystem to go back and, and, and try that more for a, a long range setup. And, and and we've talked about this for years as well, man, there's not a good microsystem out there. I, we do make a deep six system. The issue there and why I think it's got a bad rap in the system, in the industry is that, it's got a pretty short shank, three-tenths of an inch long, and then you get you into these never small want a threads. a short shank. That's <laughs> no. <problem>. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're just in a straight carbon arrow and you get a side impact, uh, you can bend those threads back in there. There's not um, – it's a smaller diameter, and there's not a lot of support on it. Um, with our – we do sell a deep six system where we have a higher-strength ferrule material and a hardened steel collar over it, and um, it's a much better system, but I think it's – it's become a bit of a hard sell in the industry, and more and more companies are going away from it.
2: I don't believe I've helped that either. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, and that's and that's fine because I think there's a better way to do it, and that's what um, you and I've been working on. I mean, so so to me, ideal. What would be the ideal system for a diameter shaft? It would be having a broadhead with a long shank, say an inch inch long, with a very close fit to the idea of the shaft and then uh, a collar system over it and so that's what that's what we've been working on that's what um these prototypes were we're test we've got sitting in front of us and we're testing and we've talked about this a lot you like doing a just a straight glue-in system in fact you do that with our 204 system uh, where you just have the the hit insert attached right to the broadhead um, and use hot melt glue and put it right in and then an impact collar and put it right in there and uh you, know, you want to talk about that? You've been, you've been liking that system for years. So. Yeah. So I, you know, screwed around
2: with a ton of different, uh, well, as people know, I've got arrows all over um, from skinnies all the way up. And I shot skinnies for qu- quite a while. And then um, I got really kind of tired of the component systems on the skinnies and said, piss on it. And I went back to a standard 246, a, a vintage, which was fine. And then, uh, well, just from talking with you, I went to the 204 system. It's kind of best of both worlds and Uh, They're a little bit smaller in diameter, um, which is important. But what I really liked is I like the the idea of taking as many pieces and parts. A lot of times when you're dealing with a skinny or dealing with a half out or more than one part and – it's, it's hard to get it, one, to get them to stick on um, or, or stick in or whatever. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, obviously they they're, it's hard to get the broadhead to spin straight. Uh, more parts you add, the, the worse it gets. And so the 204 system, I just took Bill 70, I shoot a 75 grain uh, hit that, that Bill makes and then a 25 grain collar and a 200 grain point on my stick bow. And then I do the same thing, except I, I use 100 grain components and a 125 grain point. Uh, on my compound. So I got 225 up front on my compound, 300 on my stick. Well, I would just take that 75 grain hit, screw it on the back of my, my broadhead. And, and even though I shoot black Eagles, he, he says not to use hot melt. I do it anyway. And I glue the whole shittery in, the broadhead shank, the, the hit, the whole nine yards. Um, what's the name of the glue? The- it's uh, a kim-sha. Kim kimsha. It's like kimshi, but it doesn't smell bad. I don't know if you guys have, have you guys ever had kimshi? Is that yeah. what it's called? Kimchi. Kimchi.
0: Kimchi.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's like fermented cabbage. Cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> Korea. When I got back, my ghillie suit smelled like burlap and kimchi. It just doesn't go. <laughs> um, so the kimchi glue or whatever it's called, I would take that, glue the whole thing in, spin it, make sure everything's spin true, and if it didn't, I just heat up uh, the tip a little bit of the broadhead and then just rotate it if needed. And that system is what I've probably killed more than anything with on a on a 204 rampage with your component system and so I I kind of always have just kept going back to that because it's like the best of all worlds and and Bill started talking to me about kind of what I wanted or or or, of course this is my memory of it but we were talking about trying to find something better for skinny components that would work well and you go ahead and take it from here I guess.
1: Yeah I think you and I I think you and I are both wanting a better system for micros and bouncing ideas back and forth for several months here on it. Um, and so the problem with, with a half-out, there's a couple things. One is, as you mentioned, you got that multiple components and you got this, this tolerance stack up. So if, if you think about a half-out, you've got this shank going down into the arrow. There's a little bit of clearance there. There's some size tolerances. So there can be a little bit of a of – a, it could be cocked a little bit. And then you've got this tolerance from that shank to the to the idea that half out on the other end of the part, and, and there's some mismatch there with tolerances. And then you um, you put a broadhead in there, and it's mounted out in front of your arrow. It's at least it starts at least an inch out in front because the you know the the standard threaded system is can be up to nine tenths of an inch long, and if that whole broadhead's out in front, the broadhead starts at least an inch out in front, and then the points another you know, inch to inch and a half out in front. So you can have this thing um, tilted because of tolerances. And now you're the run out of that point as you spin it around um, can be much higher. And in fact, it can be 10 times higher. It's going to be 10 times higher on average than this new system we're talking about, where you have this uh, one inch diameter shank that's aligning directly to the idea of the arrow with with less than a thousand clearance, so very tight tolerances. You know, I assembled and spin tested 10 or 20 of these yesterday. And I mean, they're, they're perfect. And you're just not going to get that with a half out system. I mean, you might get them once in a while, but with tolerances, that, that point is just going to, it's going to vary off center. And the further that's off, you're just going to get poor flight and it's going to open up your groups.
2: Yeah. And, and so, you know, as we were kind of running this to, to ground, um, one of the first issues was the amount of if if Bill just made a a straight shank, um, with variable different sizes for 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 weights, um, you would have what seven hundred ninety four extra SKUs or something insane.
1: Yeah, we do a different ferrule <laughs> weight for a different ferrule and trying to reuse blades for a lot of our products. So it'd be yeah, it'd be a ton of different ferrule sizes, and then each of our blades. Now we have a, a V series, S series, wide series, single bevel. So it was going to be so many skews. We talked about, um, well, maybe we should take our 165 diameter hits and put it on the back of there as a weight system to go with it. And then it also makes it kind of a, a hybrid system where you can either use it as a, a threaded in hit system or you can use it as a in system. Right. And in, in the way that I do the
2: rampage, it was kind of already, I'd say proven, but kind of it works great because... I do the same thing with the rampages to a certain degree, meaning I just screw the head in, and then when I want to run, um, you know, a, a, you know, for my compound, I do a one twenty-five grain head, and so the the fix was pretty simple. Uh, Bill made a, a fairly long uh, shank or or whatever coming out the back, but then you can screw in different weights according to what what you need, and and that also makes a pretty big difference if somebody has a shoulder injury I don't I don't pick one whatever or they want to switch weapons I don't know but you you can just change out the the hit um and you don't need to you can use the same broadhead and pull the hit off completely if it's a a 50 and put a 25 run nothing at all so it's extremely versatile it's also ex- extremely durable um and it's extremely uh, what low high tolerance as far as spinning the broadhead it's going to spin true and so it, it seemed to me the best of all worlds when running a skinny shaft. You don't have to worry about the runout or concentricity. You don't have to worry about durability, uh, you know, all those things that are important. I guess the downside is obviously you have to glue them in, but I've swapped mine out just with an MSR reactor in the field heated it up pulled it out because i occasionally if you hit you know fire straight into a rock you'll bend something you can pull it out and i carry extra systems with me to glue in so you could actually carry it's not the end of the world you can carry these in and, and and fix it in the field it's not the end of the world now you may not be able to hot melt it but worst case scenario you could super glue something in while you're in the field so it's kind of the best... I think it'll be the best skinny component system ever built, the most durable, the most accurate. I'm I'm super excited about it. I guess the only problem is we're probably talking about it a little early. Um, do you want to kind of go over what you think the <laughs> schedule is going to be <laughs> before we get overloaded with questions?
1: Yeah, so um, plan is is will be about two months here before we're, we're built enough of these to start shipping on, but we'll probably try and launch a, a pre-order. So... It's um, say mid February, yeah. By mid April, we'll be we'll be shipping these. We'll probably do a, a pre order available when this when this podcast comes out. It's um, you know, we're using all of our same blades, so it's just our Swiss CNC machines. We just got to get enough uh, get enough ferals made to to launch these, and we're we're planning to do first. Let me just say a thing about strength, um, and I'll tell a little bit more about the the product options. The reason why this is stronger. Um, than, say, half-out systems is with, with the half-out, you've got this big lever arm out there. So your broadhead, as I mentioned, is mounted at least an inch out in front of the arrow. And then if, say, your, your impact, you get a little bit of side impact on the center of that broadhead, you got this long lever arm, like a, like a big cheater bar on there, breaker bar, um, it's going to want to bend that arrow or bend that shank. Um, you compare that to this system where the broadhead the shank goes right down into the arrow. So if you get a side impact, you know, your, your force is maybe a half inch out versus, um, versus an inch and a half or more out. And so between that and our, our higher strength materials, um, this system is going to be at least five times stronger in bending strength than, the than the best systems out there, I believe. And, you know, closer to 10 times stronger than the, the standard aluminum half outs you might get with your arrows. Um, the other thing is that it builds the strength into the arrow versus putting something strong, you know, kind of mounted off out in front of it. And I think that's important that having having that broadhead right in the arrow and and now with this, you get this one inch shank and then if you have the hit behind it, that's another, I'm mean, depending on the weight you use, but even if you use our 15 grain titanium, that's an inch and a half long. So you now have got two and a half inches of arrow reinforcement plus the collar on the outside. Um, and so you've got that you know, hardened steel or titanium, then carbon fiber, and then another hardened steel or titanium sleeve. So you've kinda of got this very strong kind of laminated system built right into the arrow. And that's that's a lot better than having something strong out in front, but then you're you're kinda of cranking on it. You don't have that strong connection into the arrow.
2: Yeah, and everything Bill just said is is exactly why well for, for me and and I obviously have dedicated too much of my life into hunting, I pre build Uh, several dozen arrows or as many as I can Um, once I figured out the the system and the weight and the tune and everything I I pre-build the arrows for the season and so for me I'm not swapping things back and forth field tips and broadheads once I know my system I have a set uh, amount of arrows that I use for target practice and and uh, you know go into tournaments and then I pre-build, and I highly suggest for people to do this, I pre-build everything as early as possible with the broadheads on them and have them ready. So the the, the glue-in portion of this, I think, I wouldn't say we were hesitant, but it was something that, okay, is this something people are going to, you know, freak, maybe freak out over? Like, are they going to worry about it? And I was like, man, I, I think once the, the message is, is conveyed or, or, or out there of how this works, I mean, if you're going to go, you know, hunting, and 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 some people may have to do this. I understand financially, and they're going to unscrew their field tips from the arrows they've been shooting at tournaments and practice, and screw broadheads in. I, I get that, but for the most part, um, I don't think it's an issue to pre-build the dozen arrows that you're going to hunt with with these glue-in points. You can swap out blades in the field easy enough. Uh, you can heat them up and swap them out. You you boiled water and in. in uh, did it that way i 'm too lazy for that. I just heat the tip up, but
1: yeah that's what I would that's what i'm gonna say as a disclaimer here don't just heat up the tip with, don't do what I told you to do don't do what Aaron does <laughs> unless you i mean do it at your own risk if if you've used hot melt glue and and you have a good feel for how much do I have to heat up the tip to pull it out um you know if if you know how to do that that that's fine um the safe way to do it in the way I do it so I don't pop an arrow. So if you heat up an arrow um, too much, it's carbon fiber and epoxy and it can just, you know, it can pop apart, it can come apart or be damaged. So a very safe way to do it, just boil water, um, stick the, stick the end of your arrow in the water for about 15 seconds. It softens up that hot melt glue. You can pull it right out. Um, I've left the arrows in there for two minutes. Um, I've done that with the the black eagles and the eastern arrows and then pulled it out. And then I've measured the, the arrows and, and they seem fine. So, you know, I think that 15 seconds is very safe. Just boil water, stick it in, pull it out. Um, you can't hardly do, you can't hardly mess that up. That's a very safe way to do it.
2: Black Eagle specifically says don't use hot melt. It's not that hot melt doesn't work. It's because sometimes people don't use their brain and, and then ruin the arrow. Um, so you have to be cognizant of what you're doing. If you're going to heat it up, uh, you don't want to heat it up very long. You definitely don't want to put the heat on the carbon. And so boiling water is the safe bet. And if you're worried about it, boil water. Um, if you get used to it, I swap them out all the time. I don't have an issue. I just heat it up real quick. But Black Eagle is not going to warranty their arrows if you're using hot melt. I can tell you that right now. So don't listen to me. Listen to Bill.
1: Yeah. Um. You know, I've, I've talked to Randy about this and yeah, he's, he's just going to not say, he's not going to say that heating them up at all is is good. <laughs> you, know, he doesn't, you know, and he didn't really give me a temperature range that's safe. So I can't say, I can't speak for Black Eagle at all or Easton on this. I can just say from my own experience that uh, it seems very safe to me to heat something up 15 to 20 seconds and then and pull those components out. And so the heat insert is down in there quite a ways. And it's also a safe way to get that heat down that far versus just trying to heat up the tip with a, with the flame. So that, that's kind of what I'm going to recommend for if you're going to pull them out and, uh, and swap them out. Um, if you're boiling our broadhead in there, it's a good idea. You know, when we ship our broadhead blades, they're A2 tool steel. We ship them with a light coat of, of mineral oil on them. And if you're going to boil them and boil that off, I'd recommend drying them out. You can even take some alcohol to really dry them out and then reapply a little blade oil on there. We sell a little blade oil pen for easy application. But um, yeah, it's, it's, if you leave them wet, you know, just boiling them and then having to dry out is probably not an issue. But if you, if you leave them wet for a long period of time, say in a wet quiver, you can get some little corrosion spots on it and, and um, it's better to just get them dried out and put some more blade oil on them.
2: Yeah. So as we're talking about this, do not call Randy and said, Aaron Snyder said to do this. It's what I do don't do it unless you're confident in your ability because they're not going to warranty the arrow if you heat them up because uh, you can ruin them quickly if you're not not comfortable with it. But really, so you know what what you're what you're offering is a a system for. In, in my case, I, I ordered 300 spine X impacts. You know, I'm going to have 300 grains up front, so I'm just going to tune the arrow until that works. Your weights, what are you offering in all the different weights?
1: Yeah. So, uh, we looked at just doing one weight head, but, but really after enough thought into it, decided I need to do a kind of a lighter and then a heavier. Um, so our lighter is, and what I would stress to people is think about this as total weight up front rather than, you know, what is my broadhead weight? And I think, you know, I think more and more people got to think about that that way. Like a lot of guys I've talked to are wanting 150, 175 up front for the compound, maybe 250 to 300 up front, uh, or maybe 200 to 300 up front with their, with their stick bows. Um, so anyways, the offerings are the lightest is going to be 135 grain is going to be the broadhead weight with that one inch shank. That's going to be a titanium, um, ferrule grade five titanium. If you put on our 15 grain titanium hit, that becomes 150, So you can shoot that just like that as a 150 up front. I'd highly recommend our impact collar. If you add our 10 grain titanium impact collar, then you're at 160 total up front. Um, I'm planning to shoot it with our 25 grain impact collar. So that'll be 175 total up front. Um, That's with our S series blade, either our our S125 blade or our SB single bevel 125 blade. We will probably offer it with our V Series blade, which is 25 grains lighter. So in that point, at, at that, it's a 110 grain broadhead, and then you can just add whichever hit you want, whichever collar you want. But so that will span from that 135 up to really you can go up to 100 grain hit, which will make it 235 and 25 grain collar. So we're at what 260. So it would span from, you know, that 135. Um, if you just glue in the head by itself. Um, up to maybe 260 that's the lighter the lighter option the heavier option is a it's got a all hardened steel ferrule um, with our s series blade like our our normal s200 blade it would be a 200 grain broadhead Um, if you shoot the wide solid the aaron's going to shoot it's a 225 grain head at that point um, I think Aaron's going to shoot it with um, that wide solid head. So it's 225 with a 50 grain hit on the back of it and then a 25 grain collar to get his 300 total up front.
2: Yep. And then I'll use this exact same system on my compound. I'll just change out the, the hit. Um, so, and, and again, I, I, um, I'll tune my, my bow to that system as far as adding or taking away you know, inches off the, the arrow initially, meaning knowing I want 300 grains up front on my stick bow, I will um, you know, figure that out accordingly, cut the arrow down. When I go to the compound, I'll actually shoot the same arrow uh, (laughs) length, but then I'll figure out the weight I need to shoot a bullet hole. And with the options that Bill has, I'll be able to shoot the same arrow, same everything other than changing up front a little bit of the weight. So it is extremely versatile. The the big thing when you talk about skinnies like an x impact or, or something like that they they buck the wind better they're you're, you're not getting as much drift because of the wind hitting them they're lighter weight grains per inch and so if you want to go a little bit heavier up front you can get a lower spine or a stiffer spine arrow uh that doesn't weigh very much and then uh you know obviously load up some weight up front um so it, it's it's a good option name some of the you Know skinny shafts that you're familiar with that you get there c- certain questions on on the different companies,
1: yeah. A couple of the main ones are um, well, Easton just Easton just came out with their their new four four millimeter, they're calling it uh the Axis Long Range. Um, so that's that's going to be a popular arrow this year. Um, that's one of them that I'm setting up with these components right now. Another one is uh. Is the the Black Eagle um, Deep Impact and X Impact? Those are very popular. I'm also setting up the some of the X Impacts um, right now. That's why I have sitting in front of me here too. So um, those are used a lot. There's the um, Gold Tip uh, Pierce, Pierce Platinum, um, po- very popular arrow. There's the uh, the Victory um, Vaps that will also, are also that that sized. Um, and one thing that's not ideal is that. There's Aero companies that use 166, and there's some that use 165 ID, and my plan here is to make the system so it, it works with both. And I'm also adjusting the those hit inserts, those 166 hit inserts down a few tenths going forward, so that um, they work they work very well on both the 165, 166 um, shafts. So I'm sure I'm, I'm sh- you know there's a bunch of other um, kind of smaller companies out there that make. A 166 or 165 um, ID arrows as well that, that, that these will work for.
2: Yeah. And so um, I guess when people are, are listening to this, you know, probably one, there's going to be a, a lot of questions, but the, you know, the goal was pretty simple, build the the beefiest, most durable and consistent system for a skinny shaft up front. And that that had the versatility where people could um, you know make it work with just about any any bow, any weight, you know, and and again, the 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 system is just part of it. So we, we wanted to build that for skinny shafts, but so people would have all the the benefits of shooting a skinny arrow uh, that I just talked about without half outs bending and multiple pieces and parts anytime you're adding multiple pieces and parts to the front of your arrow it's it's bad juju and I don't believe in everything that Ashby teaches but I durability of components is in the top three I think and then I should probably go read that list again Uh,
1: (laughs) yeah yep um might even be uh, is it number one or two I think it's number one maybe it's it's like structural integrity of the The broadhead components. Let let me
2: talk about some of the epic fuck-ups I've had with components. Uh, Gold tip when they first came out with the Chaos or Kinetic, I can't remember. It was 2014 maybe. I aim at the golden triangle favoring the shoulder because I always zip through it. I was shooting an 86-pound Hoyt with a 540-grain arrow, so I wasn't real concerned about anything, and I hit right where I wanted, and um, the components snapped it off. Snapped in half as it hit. Um, now was that because the elk shifted? But that piece of shit component system up front snapped off, and my arrow fell out. So yeah, yippee! Like I had all this momentum, and I didn't have the structural integrity or the durability to carry it through. So I, I hit that, and it and it I didn't get the elk. I hit it right where I aimed, and and where I've shot a, a ton of animals. But that component system. It's kind of a half out collar thingy, dingy. No, they didn't have a collar. It was just half out, snapped off at the fulcrum point, the, the pivoting point. So I, I lost that elk. Same thing on a, on a white tail, and I fixed blade uh, should have zipped right through it, but when I when I hit it, it again I, I aim at the golden triangle. Uh, what seemed to happen is is it was a white tail, pretty jittery, when it got into that muscle tissue and shifted. It snapped off again on the onside shoulder, and I got one lung. And I didn't find that animal. I'm actually going to quit telling these stories because it doesn't sound great. But the component system is extremely vital because the moment that arrow hits, it doesn't matter if if uh, Jesus is pushing that arrow through. If your components break, all momentum has stopped. Um, and so I have I I'm I'm super really super stickler anal with this component system thing because I've seen a lot of failures from components or guys can't tune their broadhead. It's because the components suck. And when they spin the arrow, it's wobbling around like a bent tire um, where this solves all of those problems. So did I cover most?
1: of? Yeah. (laughs) Let's touch on a few of those things there. (laughs) I mean, I think shooting in the vital V or close to that vital V is, is what you should be doing for a quick kill. You know, I hear that some from mechanical guys. Well, I've just found I need to shoot back. well, I want to kill, I want an animal to die in, in seconds, not minutes. Um, so hitting up at the front of the lungs, um, lung heart area, you know, it goes through, um, you know, it's going to lose blood pressure and die in a couple of seconds. And you shoot back, you hit those back lobes of the lungs and, and they can go for minutes, um, often if when it hit kind of the back edges of the lungs, or if you get one lung liver, you know, then you can be talking a, a long time or guts even longer. So, Yeah. Um, anyways, I think shooting a vital V is where we should all be shooting for the quickest humane kill. And so you want to have a system that'll look at you through there and yeah, having the components. I I mean, I hear that from people all the time, half outs, um, bending. So I think you're right on there. That's a concern.
2: I'm sure I'm going to get bashed and someone's going to tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong. Uh, I've tested it a bunch and, you know, these are the times when, you know, I encourage people to to do the test. Like when I say do a test it doesn't take I mean Bill has very high level um uh equipment. You know, go shoot a piece of plywood uh at a steep angle. Okay? That'll show you that your mechanical arrow will pivot off that plywood. Uh you want to shoot let's say in high wind go shoot into something, you know, straight on that technically your your arrow's going uh for the most part obviously other than the paradox is zipping straight uh, into a barrel, but do it with a half out. Well, the wind is going to be pushing that, um, you know, sideways, and it will snap off that half out. And so, I understand all aero manufacturers can't make the creme de la creme gold component system like, like a Bill, like bill offers. Um, you know, they, 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 they offer what's commensurate to the price. It's just a lot of those component systems, probably all, um, a lot, um, are subpar to, to what they could be. I'm not blaming the aero manufacturer. That's just, well, you buy a vehicle. If you didn't have aftermarket shit, there'd be millions of people, uh, out of work because you buy a vehicle. You have all these extra cool things to put on it. If I have a Shelby Raptor, um, there is nothing I can put on that thing, uh, because it did have, uh, all of the, the best parts. It also cost me an arm and a leg. I would say this is a good analogy of that is, to get to talk to an arrow manufacturer and to offer something like Bill is selling would be a hard sell because of,
1: I would get say years of status quo. Yeah. I think in general, I'm going to say that components you get free with arrows are worth what you paid for them. You know, they're not, they're going to be very low quality. You know, I can't say this for everybody, but a lot of them are going to be um, a low in material, not the best um, equipment making them. They're trying to make them very low cost because you know, a lot of these arrows are just sold for, for target shooters, and you don't need a, you don't need a very robust, um, strong system up front for that. So why is an arrow company going to gonna put a lot of money into a component system up front that a lot of the shooters don't need or might not even use? So why are you going to cut your profit margins way down for, you know, across the board? You know, I understand totally why they're doing it. Everybody wants a lower cost, and they've kind of been driven to provide things at a lower cost. Uh, over the years. And so, I mean, I totally understand why they do it. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, I know I know particulars on some components that I know the aluminum they're made out of. It's a very low grade aluminum, ve- not very strong. I know the machines they're made on, those old machines, the best they can hold is about a 3,000th inch runout. Our system can be 10 times better than that, but you're also going to, you're going to pay for it at the same time.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, you, uh, I hate to bring up the vehicle thing, but it was the best analogy I could come up with because there was nothing I could really put on that vehicle, but it was super expensive. And I, I actually told my wife, I was like, shit, this is like arrows. She didn't get it at first. And I was like, or, or anything for that matter. But you know, with, with arrows, if you just buy um, the, the shafts of the arrow um, and then you fletch them yourself, you know, that you're going to get, uh, you know, you know what you're getting. Cause you're, you're the one putting the effort into it as, as far as the accuracy or consistency of fletching them and then when you cut them down and glue them in and then obviously you're putting uh, aftermarket components on you're doing that to have a better system a, a more accurate system a more durable system it's just um, the price you pay to get to get the highest quality you need maybe at some point in time somebody will offer a, a, an aero company a, a super high-end component system but it's still going to be expensive as shit. You're not going to save any money. Uh, in my, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, what do you think?
1: No, I agree. The cost
2: is the cost. You're not getting around that.
1: So Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one, one thing I wanted to mention is that, because we're probably going to get this question is, well, how does, how does it, how are you affecting the spine now? If you have like the system I'm planning to use the one inch shank plus inch and a half hit behind it. So you got two and a half inches of arrow reinforcement. How does that affect the spine is that like shortening up your arrow two and a half inches? And it's really not. That's the thing that's a misconception out there. Um, and I just, I assembled some arrows yesterday and measured, well, I measured the spine on the arrows, and then um, I remeasured it with that two and a half inch, you know, installation in there. And my spine went from a 300 to, it was still at really about 300 to maybe 301. It was, um, I really couldn't hardly measure it. And I, so I think what people don't realize is, is most is the deflection of that arrow is, is dictated mostly by that beam length, and how much force you're putting on the ends of it. And that beam length, or that arrow length, didn't change just because you put, you know, a two and two and a half inch shank in one side. You're stiffening up the part of the arrow that doesn't really flex very much, anyways. So if people are worried, well, what if I change? Uh, what if I change? Um, I start with a 25 grain hit and then want to go to a 50 grain. Um, remove it. Is that something I'm going to be changing spines? Uh, I would say no. I don't think it is. Um, go ahead and test it yourself. You got a spine tester. Spine test your arrows and then put the system in. Test them again, and I don't think you're going to see as much of a difference.
2: I haven't. You know, it maybe if you ran something halfway down the arrow, you might you might notice something. <laughs> right, but Yeah. I mean, I've screwed around with so many different component systems so for you know for example um at one time as i was testing all of these different broadheads i would have longer shank broadheads uh you know short uh, rps in anyway i would hodgepodge all this shit together to where i could shoot multiple different systems with the same arrow length i never i didn't notice a difference and with a with a stick i'm not accurate enough to really you know, drive it home with great confidence that there's no change. But one of the biggest eye-openers for me was, you know, I, I bear shaft out to pretty far distances. If I'm shooting a paper plate bear shaft at 50 with six different component systems, I'd safe to say that it doesn't make a huge difference if it's an inch and a half or three-eighths of an inch into tip of your arrow. I didn't I didn't see anything. And I have a shooting machine too, and the, the shooting machine obviously outshoots me and I didn't notice any difference to the accuracy I had, which is, I would say a shooting machine's better than any human. So.
1: Yeah. And I expected it. I expect to see a little bit more of a, a spine stiffening effect. And, um, you know, my conclusion on it is it's don't worry about it. It's negligible. It should shoot the same for you. Um, whether you have that longer shank in there or not. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, it, is this, um, I guess kind of, you know, rolls out and we released this podcast, um, you know, feel, feel free to ask me any questions that you want. Um, you know, a, I'm going to do, I guess with your permission, a lot of uh, um, kind of setup and uh, testing videos. When I say testing, meaning I'm basically just going to show how I'm putting, I'm tuning this, how I got it set up, um, even though Randy will probably kill me, how I'm heating them up to, 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 to pull them out and, and the different options, things like that. And then I want to post some durability tests as time goes on. Cause I I know the durability of, I don't know, it would take a good example, um, an Easton Axis Traditional that are super beefy. The same as a Black Eagle Instinct. It's got the coating on it. It's heavy as shit, though, and it's hard to get higher FOC, which some people want. Where with this X-Impact, I think a 300 spines, like 8.1 grains per inch. So I'm going to have fairly high FOC. That X-Impact in comparison to a Vintage or an Axis or a rampage in the different component systems where it ends up overall because durability-wise, let's say it tests out even. Let's say it doesn't even test better. It's a better system in general because if it's even to the most durable system on the market now, you have the added benefit of a a skinny arrow. But, I mean, just from what I have I would have to say, this is going to be significantly stronger than anything on the market. So
1: Yeah, I know I'll get that question. Is, Is this better than our 204 system? And it's probably not going to be better. I mean, I think our 204 diameter with our um, our reinforced hit system, we call it with, you know, a hardened steel hit down in there, our very strong ferrule material um, with that shank line directly to the idea of the shaft, and then an impact collar over that, that's that's a very strong, that's a great system. I think what I can say about this new system is that if you want to get some of the advantages of the micro, it, it should be the strongest, best aligning system out there. And, it should be very, very strong. And if you want to shoot the micros, I think this will be the best way to do it. If you're trying to get those advantages.
2: Yeah. And so I'm, I'm super excited. And, and, you know, the thing that's nice with, with, with Bill, uh, you know, in dealing with product development and testing from everything from boots to clothing, to binoculars, to, to aero components, um, Some people are, are, are wide, wide open and in, uh, you know, ready to, to listen to what you have to say, uh, but then don't execute. Other people think they know, uh, maybe or companies might know everything. Um, and maybe, maybe not be as open where you take anything I give to you. You seem to kind of compute it, think about it for a few days, call me back. We run it to ground again. And you don't find that very often. Maybe it's pride. I don't know. Um, People call me all the time with our packs and usually five people call. I'm going to list one of them has good, a good solid, you know, info. And we, we design our packs off of that. I mean, we, we alter shit that people tell us. So with you as nice as one, you're a lot smarter than me is I can give you my field experience. You'll run it into the, the lab or whatever, test it there and then go out and you hunt a shit too. go out in the field, send it to me. We test it in the field and bring it back. Not many companies are doing the shit that you're doing. And I can say that for a fact that, and if they are, they're lying to themselves when they, when they release it, that it's actually a beneficial change or, or a high end system when it comes out. I'm probably not explaining this very well, but very truly is something actually the highest level of accuracy, consistency, durability that you can find and I don't give a shit what that is from footwear on up. Somebody generally cuts some corners. Your shit is expensive as hell, but you don't cut any corners. That was kind of a run-on sentence there.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make the highest performing thing because I love to bow hunt. <laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to is that I want to make the best products. And, and I try to keep an open mind. Uh, and you're, you're the only sure thing I have for testers. I mean, I know if I give you a bunch of broadheads, you're going to kill a bunch of stuff with them. And give me give me good feedback, um, and and you've had so much experience, um, you know, bow hunting for so many years. Uh, your opinion is, you know, I highly value it, and I I learn a lot from it. And I think I, I think to continue improving, you have to keep an open mind. And I see that a lot from other manufacturers or spokesmen for the company where they just have their kind of marketing taglines, and they seem to be very um, kind of have a stubborn opinion on what they feel is best. And they won't really even listen to something different. And, and I don't ever want to be that way. I mean, I might think I know what's better, but I am going to take a critical look at it and test it. And, and I'm also not going to come out with something just to make money that's, that's not good. Like this single bevel, I knew I could have made them a couple of years ago. A lot of people wanted them. I didn't think it would be better. Um, I actually wanted to spend time proving that it wasn't better. And then I saw, well, you know, I don't know if it's better, but it's, it's good. I'll come out with it. So, yeah, I want to kind of keep that uh, keep that going where I try to continuously improve. And 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 that, people don't see this, but I've continuously improved the broadheads we're already making too. And sometimes it's it's minor strength improvements, fit improvements, quality improvements that um, you may or may not even even notice. But I think continuous improvement is is important to to stay at top.
2: We do the same thing with the packs. We'll change things, add stitching, double reinforce that we don't mentioned so consistent improvement and obviously i don't know that i've i'm sure i have where you've looked at me like i had a horn coming out my ass but i don't think i've ever think any said anything overly stupid to you where you were like this guy is full of shit um maybe on the amount of animals i shot initially i don't think you believed me but after that I, I once we hunted together i think you got a better idea but overall you and i seem to be pretty close on all of the thought processes um I hate to say it, I got to take a pee break as you answer that, but um, have I ever said anything where you're like, holy shit, there's no way? Uh, Maybe about mechanicals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, and uh, since you're taking off, you can hear this later when you listen to this, but um, you have a pretty good, um, technically, I think you need to give yourself more credit. You know, sometimes when I talk to people, they give me the deer in the headlights look, but I think you have a very good um, technical um, understanding. Um, and you have never said anything that like defies the laws of physics. So, um, no, I get, I get very sound, uh, advice from you, um, and feedback from you. So, I mean, once in a while, if I'll try and I'll try and explain the, the physics to you or the math behind it and, um, try and push it in one direction or another. But, um, in, in reality, it's, uh, all of your experience, uh, definitely helps. So what did I miss? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just saying that when I try and explain, you know, you've never said anything to me that like, doesn't agree with physics. I think you, you sell yourself short technically that you have a very solid understanding. Um, I think, you know, when I, when I talk to some others, um, technically kind of explain the the physics or math behind it, I get more of a deer in the headlights look like, you know, one of your old, old partners was kind of that way. But I feel like you, when I talk to you about it, I feel like you get it. I think you've had enough experience that, um, yeah, yeah I, do, I do think you kind of get it. And you never say anything to me that just doesn't agree with physics anyway.
2: Well, and I, I think
1: that, you know, kind of bringing up the, the the old partner
2: thing, but as a whole, I brought this up on a podcast with Tom Clum the other day. Uh, it was about coaching. Uh, it kind of runs in line with this the the more you you get to to hunt the more you get to or guide or or what the more uh, arrows you go through see through animals uh see go through animals and in experiences uh, an outfitter and a guide is a great person to ask on what they think if they do a lot of bow hunting um guiding because they're they're going to tell you some pretty epic stories uh that you can learn from mm-hmm. and if you get uh, an insta famous person that has shot i don't know five five animals or something there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, it's great they're in the industry. Hopefully, they're trying to help people, but the validity of what they're telling you is subpar at best. Um, not that they're not trying to help. I'm not. I'm not b- b- like degrading them. I'm just saying that um, I wouldn't take advice from a guy who's just. Went to the gym a few times, right? I I, I would take it from a, a Matt Chan, right? He he's going to know so much about abusing your body and making you at your peak fitness level that that he's the guy because CrossFit Games, he's done everything, right? Done a ton of stuff. Well, getting advice from certain guys th- that don't maybe have the ex- the experience is is difficult at times. To in your position, you know the the voice of reason seems to be non-existent for a lot of people. So if you come in with field data and data from the lab, it's pretty hard to argue with that. Where other people, it's kind of like bro science and they just make shit up. Um, I I have found, so I try to put myself in a position that I never say anything that I haven't seen happen multiple times and, and, and breaks the laws of physics. Like I've heard some pretty amazing stories of guys to where it's done everything I can to not just say, dude, you're, you're full of shit. That's impossible. Like it, that can't happen. You do get that a lot online though.
1: Um, I, I see, I mean, do you see that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago and he's, he's well known in the industry, you know, TV shows, podcasts, things like that. And wanted to try our single bubbles. And I just asked him, you know, he said he was, he really liked single bubbles better than double bubbles. And I asked, well, what, what's your experience? What, why do you like them? And he, he just started quoting, um, Ashby things. And I I get this all the time. And he'd say, well, they do a certain thing to bone. They, um, oh, they they breach bone better. Oh yeah. They breach bone. They, and I could, I literally finished every sentence for him. And it was just a quote right out of Ashby reports. And I'm like, yeah, I know that's all Ashby stuff, but I mean, what's been your experience? And what I, I get a lot is that, um, you know, it, when I, when I tell you like, this is what I think will happen. This is what the lab testing shows. This is my experience. I mean, you get it because you have that experience and, and you've seen it and, and you're getting it. And I, what I see with some other people that really don't have that level of experience. Um, it's hard to explain to them. I mean, when I explain why I think it's better, they don't have that, that base background to understand it. That, that's one thing and, and to bring
2: up Um, Cody Greenwood who does piss in people's Cheerios all the time. One thing nice with Cody, he doesn't have much experience in the field, but the data he's giving you is is from a lab and it's not he's he's not giving you his opinion. It's it's data. It's it's you know and for for me, I will take that data and I'll say, well here's what I same thing I do with you. Here's what I came up with, Cody. Generally it's pretty damn close to the same thing. Um, the the biggest benefit I have obviously is I, I get to hunt a shitload, so I get to kill more stuff. You know the thing that I'll get, and I'm trying to get better at, which is difficult for me, is someone telling a story, and just like you talked about, uh, they breach bone better. I'm like, what are you aiming at the fucking leg? Like, okay, I I, I get it. Do you have enough oomph to to breach the bone? Like, you're shooting a 43 pound recurve. You're screwed anyway. Like, okay, you know what I mean. Things like that. Yeah. Where I'm like, hey man, you got to give me a little more. Like that that's not cutting it. I I need I need you to. And you know, not yeah. Just and I don't know.
1: I don't it. know if I. I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but that's one of the things about single bevels—they breach bone better. That was what Ashby found with his, you know, um, with his longbow shooting fairly slow. And I've talked to him about this. He said that a double bevel can kind of more, more wedge into the bone and not pop it apart. Well, I've never seen that in my testing, and we just did some more of that testing a week ago with high-speed camera shooting into knuckles, leg bones, and knuckles. And I see that either single bevel or double bevel just breaks that bone apart, and I don't see I don't see any difference at all. And I think it's a higher energy setup. And so, even though I have hundreds of people quoting to me they breach bone better, nobody really knows that. They're just quoting a, a an Ashby report, you know, twenty years ago. Well, let's talk about not to make this a seven hour podcast,
2: but the the one thing. That, that I have found, and you've asked me this, what would you think of the single bevel versus double bevel? And I'm like, dude, I can't tell. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, maybe there's a difference, but I'm I'm zipping through everything, and I said, I'm going to shoot the wide. You know, that was my thing is I, I like the wide. Nothing wrong with the single bevel, but, you know, for for me, qu- trying to quantify certain things is difficult. Long-range shooting in the wind, you, you can figure out wind drag. You know, you, you you can get in a wind tunnel. Shooting at animals that are moving... I, you can't get to mimic it twice An animal moving has a lot to do with penetration. Uh, when it, you're for expect. sure, most of the Ashby report was dead animals, right? right? Hanging animals. Right. And I, I wouldn't argue this with anyone cause I, I don't have the energy because it's not worth arguing about when you shoot an animal, Jake and I were talking about this cause we both shot animals where that shoulder shifted hard on impact and you can watch that arrow whip over because the first 3 inches of the arrow went in the, the animal he shifted and bucked and now the arrow's course has changed you know dramatically you can't quantify that i mean i don't know how um so for me it's generally like hey bill this is what i shot i didn't really notice this but i did notice way bigger blood trails with this oh i did blast through the offside you know i broke the offside leg um, you know, would it have broken with a single bevel? Well, I can't talk to animals and make them stay in the same spot. So I, it may take a bit to mimic that exact thing. But if you're shooting 100 or 200 animals a year, you, you do get to see uh, a lot of things. And the one thing I would say is the hardest thing to quantify is the, mimicking all of those different scenarios because they were shooting dead animals. You can't, you can't mimic the testing he did exactly because it was something hanging up. Did I explain myself halfway worth of shit on all that? Yeah, you said a you <laughs> said a
1: couple of good things there to consider. You know, one is, you know, somebody might say to me, "Well, I've got enough energy. I don't I don't need the added penetration of you know your broadhead over another one." And you know that's fine, but there's there's things that are going to affect your penetration. And like you said, say that shoulders coming back and you got some movement there. That's gonna that's gonna take a lot of energy out. So you might want that extra penetration. You know, for those reasons. And, and yeah, it's. The field testing is, with with animals moving, it's it's hard to repeat a test um, exactly, you know, in the lab or with a dead animal hanging up. But anyway, I just wanted to say that for bone breaching, I, we shot a bunch through leg bones, knuckles. Yeah, both of them break through, single bevel or double bevel. I can't really say one's—I don't think one's better than the other, personally, for bone breaching. Um, I think the advantage of single bevels is, is going to be more— the rotation through tissue and hide, and just opening up a little better.
2: You know, while we're talking about that and about single or double, I don't have an issue with single bevel. I just prefer double, and I've shot a ton of stuff. I've shot stuff with your single bevel and the guys from Rocky Mountain. You know, m- my thing is, is uh, I have enough oomph to shoot a wider uh, broadhead, um, a bigger cutting diameter broadhead, and so that's my choice. Uh, and I probably oversimplify this, but when you're buying a well, when you're looking for a wife, you're probably not initially looking for the inside of her soul and you're, you probably liked her smile or her butt or something. If you like single bevels, shoot those. I mean, you're, (laughs) there's nothing wrong with those. It's just not my choice. And it's not my choice because of scientific data or bad experiences. It's just, I feel more comfortable shooting a wide uh, broadhead. And I tell people that all the time. I'm like, dude, if you don't like the wide and you like single bevels, don't, listen to me like there's nothing wrong with either one that is just what i what i like because they all do well i'm not when i say all all of yours there's a lot of shitty products out there especially broadheads all that what bill offers and high quality broadheads in general they're all going to do the job shoot what you're comfortable with but if you're taking advice from uh certain people um i'm not going to mention any names don't do that, take advice from the guys that are actually out there testing it, the companies testing it and, and looking to evolve and change all the time to better their product. And there's a guy, we talked about him, I'm not gonna mention his name, but he's all about lobbing logs, right, 800 grain arrows. I have a hard time believing that is the system he would use on a high country mule deer hunt, a mountain goat hunt, an owdad hunt, because you don't. You wanna be able to shoot 40 yards uh, with a stick. You know, You wanna be able to reach out a little bit And I would say his lack of mountain hunting experience and putting himself in these different situations pigeonholes him into preaching one thing to everyone, which is really shitty advice in a lot of ways. I'm not saying heavier point weight's bad or a heavier arrow, but come on a mountain hunt with me for 14 days with an 800-grain arrow and let me know your life has not changed hiking back out where you're thinking— maybe 580 is enough, you know. Uh what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean that same guy, I I put him on the spot saying, "Hey, I think for Out West Big game, that 500, 525 is is great. You're going to get better trajectory for those longer shots." That's on a compound, everyone. Yeah, that's on a compound. And um and he agreed. He said that f- he agreed. He said 525, 550, that's um that's would be probably his preferred for the longer distance shots if he was making those. So I think even the guys that are preaching, you know, a lot of the guys that are preaching that 650 plus are are just shooting closer shots. By the way, there's no, there's not really a 650 grain threshold. There, there's not any like spot. Don't get started on that one,
2: Jesus. When I heard that, I was like, what? But anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Dr. Ashby will say that with his setup, with his longbow, shooting through Cape Buffalo, uh, Asian Buffalo, ten yards, dead animal. That's where he saw that with, with the different bows he was shooting, everything was, you know, breaching bone consistently at that 650 grain. Well, a lot of people have taken that back and said, you need 650 grain to breach bone. And, you know, mass by itself doesn't tell you anything. It's, it's momentum. It's mass times velocity that it will determine how much penetration you get. So, I mean, there's like a continuous improvement on increasing arrow mass because you'll have a little more retained momentum at the target, um, but th- that might only be you know 5%, five or five or ten percent more retained momentum, you know, going from you know a, f- a five fifty to six hundred or from a five hundred to a five fifty. Um, you can kind of shoot those different arrows through through a chronograph and get the get the momentum mass time velocity and kind of see how it's affected in your bow. But anyway, don't feel like you need to shoot six fifty. Um, I would say you know shoot as heavy an arrow is as you can for the trajectory you want. For me personally, that's about, you know, 500 to 530 grains. Um, I can still dial my sight up to 122 yards and shoot total archery challenge, um, and to shoot practice long range, but yet, um, I'm getting great penetration on, on elk even at long range.
2: Yeah. and, And,
1: uh, while we're talking
2: about that, like these are things and it's difficult to test, but I encourage people in, in, uh, to, to test this. If you took a 650 grain arrow with 125 grains up front, you took a 650 grain arrow with 300 grains up front and and those two were the same speed, right? 650 grains. And then you take a 550 grain arrow that has more speed uh, with, I don't know, whatever, 150 grains up front. Anyway, you you, you run these certain scenarios. What you're going to find is a heavy arrow is, is very important and to me, there's a diminishing return on high FOC tuning and things like that to where uh, a good heavy arrow with good point weight is, is, is what you're striving for. When you get to crazy heavy arrows or crazy heavy point weight, there's, a, there's diminishing returns that are literally like I, some of the guys that call me listening to that one dude, and they're like, all right, man, I'm at 780 grains, uh, and they give me their setup, and they're like, I'm heading out west. What do you think? And I'm like, I think you need to change your setup they're like, what? And I'm like, that dude's not from out west. Like, he hasn't hunted in the mountains. You know, like, I'm not saying it won't kill. I'm just saying it's not the best option. And uh, not to beat this dead horse to death, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions and bro science on certain things that, you know, gets traveled onto the you get enough of following, you get it on social media and then pretty soon it's set in stone. But I mean, I'm going to get hate for this. I don't know anybody that's killed more than me and I don't even know what my FOC is. And I certainly
1: never checked it when I was younger. So I, I just always shot a heavy arrow. Yeah. I get that question a lot. I just got it a couple of days ago. A guy said, you think your broadhead with this arrow will work okay at 18% FLC or do I need to go to 19? And, um, <laughs> it's like pick and fly shit out of chili. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, and, and I think there's some people out there that claim going from a 19 to a 22% FOC doubles penetration. I mean, that just defies the laws of physics. Th- that's not even in the equation for penetration. You've got change in momentum equals force over time. So your momentum as you hit the animal, that's going to be translated to, you know, a certain force over time. The best way to increase penetration, decrease that force it takes for your broadhead to cut through. And you know you can look at the the force testing on our on our website under um, under our, there's a testing um, page on there that, that shows the force difference. If you can reduce the force, you know three to one, you're going to get three times the penetration. If you increase arrow mass, maybe you're going to have 10% remain more retained momentum, and you might get 10% more penetration. But if you can reset force, you can you can do you know two to three times or more penetration. So that's the big hitter. And then, the, so about FOC, you know, the, physic, the physics would say, the science would say, if your arrow's going straight as it hits that animal, it doesn't matter if that center of mass is, you know, two inches forward or, or three inches forward to center, it's going to penetrate the same. Because it's really just that momentum in a straight line that's going to be translated to this force over distance. I think, I think in Ashby testing, that higher FOC gave them a better arrow flight. I think it with the long bow and shooting close distance, that, that stiffer shaft, more weight up front. I think it made his arrow go through straighter, and I think that was a bigger factor. I, I think, you know, it had a, probably had a better punch. I do believe if you have a bunch of weight at the back, it's a negative thing, especially if the arrow isn't perfectly straight, because then you've got some some weight at the back that's going to want to pull that arrow off to one side or the other, and you can maybe get some buckling effects. So I think there's a reasons for not having low FOC or having weight at the back, but, um, these guys, you know, pushing up from 16 to say 19, I think there's a, I think there's a minimal improvement in penetration really. Um, from, I mean, just from the physics behind it.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of what I was, you know, what I, when I'm seeing, I guess, but well, man, I don't, we're at an hour and 40 minutes. Um, is there anything else you want to cover on here?
1: No, I don't think so. Um,
2: Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no problem. So just so, um, you know, when people listen to this as far as the, the questions, just to do a quick rehash to please God save me from tons and tons of messages. This is for a skinny system. Uh, multiple different weight options, multiple different, co- what are all the color options? I know you said it earlier, but. Yeah, we
1: have a either a 10 grain titanium or a 25 grain uh, hardened stainless steel. Those are two color options. And then uh, hit uh, weight options? Yeah, the hit weight options, there's a 15 grain titanium and then we have hardened steel that are 25, 50, 75, and 100 grain. So you can pretty much hit any weight combination you want to there.
2: The idea being um, the most durable, consistent, um, you know, system for a skinny arrow uh, with with obviously options for different weights and things like that. So I'm super excited about it. Uh, Like I said, I'll post videos up on my story and page or whatever as I'm screwing around with this. Um, So yeah, Bill, I, I appreciate everything and I appreciate you going the distance and coming out with this. I look forward to it.
1: Well, I appreciate your, uh, yeah, it was great working with you on it. I appreciate all your input. And uh, I don't know what we're going to call it yet. Maybe the Snyder iron wheel micro system or something
2: like that. Yeah, I don't know, man. I got a lot of people that hate me. That might hurt sales. <laughs> so maybe the guys that like me might buy it, but we'll have to come up with, with something. But yeah, thanks again for everything, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thank you.